Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. Good morning, Inspire Church. How y'all doing? Come on, another $21,500 that we've qualified for. Yeah, clap your hands. Yes, yes, God is good. You know, I think this is like our third or fourth year that we've qualified for that. So we run the risk of everyone saying, yeah, this is the fourth year for that. But any time we get an opportunity just to be given $21,000, is a blessing from the Lord. And so um, I just trust we've done it the past couple of years. You guys have always been faithful to match. And uh, I know we're going to do it this year. My mic is a little hot. um, But uh, uh, I am just so blessed by that. And this is all in conjunction with a new sermon series that we are beginning. It's a mini series, actually. Um, For those of you that come to Inspire Church, you know, me and mini doesn't that doesn't match, but uh, we're going to do a three-week mini-series um, that we are entitling Money Motives. And so if this is your first or second time here, congratulations. You came on the day when the church is talking about money. So uh, give yourself a round of applause for that. Um, according to a study conducted by Generosity Bay Area... Bay Area residents give an average of 1.3% of their income away a year. 1.3% of their income is given away a year, Bay Area residents. It's actually one of the lowest in the nation. It's really fascinating because we're here in Silicon Valley, which is actually one of the wealthiest regions in the world, and yet we give away the least amount of money. Bay Area, uh, Generosity Bay Area also conducted this same poll. And uh, what they found with Bay Area Christians, right? So the Bay Area in general gives about 1.3% of their income away. Bay Area Christians give away about 3 to 4% of their income away a year. Um, so we've been asking the question, what motivates people to give? What motivates people to give? In fact, in a moment, we're going to do a little live poll with y'all. I'm going to move out the way. And we want to ask you that question um, ourselves. And uh, But before we do that, um, as we work through some of the technical side of things, um, we asked this, we gave this, we asked this question on our social media platforms. Um, And so I asked it online last night. Uh, We also asked the question on uh, Inspire Churches. To all a few of you that actually took the poll, good job. To those of you who just kind of scrolled, you know, I don't know what's going on with y'all over here. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's my chastisement for the morning. Uh, But nonetheless, we asked this question, what motivates people to give? And what we did was we gave, we had limited options. It was a poll. And so I know there were some people that sent me private messages that were kind of like, I'm not quite sure what's going on. or I'm not quite sure where to put my answer. Uh, But we did give in this poll some options. And so I want to read out those options to you um, that you can actually see. Because in a minute, you are going to take a live poll. We're just going to see what this room, um, how this room feels about what motivates their giving. And so one of the questions we asked is, is it need? Are you motivated to give by need? And the way that we defined need is if it's necessary and urgent. In other words, what will motivate you to give? Is it need? Is it necessary and urgent? Um, Will you only give or will you be more motivated to give? If somebody's up here saying, hey, everybody, we need this, this, and this, and we need it by this time. Will that be the key motivating factor of your giving? Another, uh, Another option was vision. Maybe some of you are less motivated to give by need. 
um, and more motivated to give by vision. What is vision? Vision is somebody telling you what a preferred future could look like. And so maybe it's not about the urgent, thank you. Maybe it's not about the urgent or the importance, but maybe it's about the future. And so somebody kind of gives a clear picture of what things could be, maybe that would stimulate you to give. And as you can see, people are already voting. Feel free to get your phones out. There's a big QR code right here. And so you guys can already jump and, you know, it's really easy. You're going to get linked on this QR code. You're going to get linked to a survey. And I believe that when you first get in, it's going to ask you a few questions. Just put skip. That'll take you right to the survey. Then choose what motivates you. And then make sure you submit the survey in order for it to get on. So as you guys are scanning the QR code, you're going to initially get prompted and you're just going to skip that first prompting. And then after that, you're going to choose which one motivates you and then make sure you submit the survey. Y'all doing okay with me? Hello? Yeah. Okay, cool. Make sure. Thank you. And so maybe it's vision or how about this? Maybe it's trust and credibility. Like maybe what motivates you to give is that you're giving to a person or an organization that is credible, that is trustworthy. You know that your money is going to a credible and trustworthy place. And so maybe what motivates you to give is credibility, trust. <clears throat> or finally, we just wanted to throw this one in here um, on the bottom. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're motivated by fear, right? And all the church kids said Amen. Because God is watching. And if you don't give, you are going to be cursed. You heard that sermon before? Um, because if you don't give, right, God is going to punish you. And so maybe, maybe it's fear. And so um, I want to give you what some of the online polls, um, what some of the polls that we took online said. And then we can kind of take a look at where we are ending up. And so online, we pulled, there's about 90, right around 90 people that responded online. And the two highest motivations for giving, according to um, our online poll, was need at 39% and trust at 35%. And so what we found online, <laughs> what we found online is that need was the highest motivator for people's generosity based on those that are following us. Second was trust. And then vision came in at a distant third. And then at the very end was fear. So need at 39%. Trust at 35%. Vision at 21%. Amen. And fear at 5%. Now, if you will bear with us, I'm sure the team is doing an incredible job to make sure that our live poll is working. And maybe we can circle back to that whenever they give me a thumbs up. But in the meantime, here's the aim or the goal of our sermon series that we are entitling Money Motives. You see, people are motivated to give for all kinds of different reasons. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to motivate regular, sacrificial, and joyful giving. Let me say this again. We are motivated to give for all kinds of reasons, but only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to motivate regular, sacrificial, and cheerful giving. So much you ask your question this morning, in your generosity, do you struggle with any of those three? Do you struggle giving regularly? Do you struggle giving sacrificially? Or maybe you give regularly and sacrificially, but do you struggle giving it cheerfully? And the only enduring motivation that can help you with those struggles in your journey towards generous living is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the kind of giving that can break the bondage of materialism. This is the kind of giving that can break the bondage of greed 
And this is the kind of giving that ultimately make us look more like Jesus. Because we are a community that is wanting to look more like Christ. Amen? With that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart and mind in this room. Lord, I pray as we talk about money, that you would do a transformative work in all of our lives with our relationships to money. Lord, in the next three weeks, would you transform this church to be a more generous church? Not because of fear, not because of manipulation, not because of guilt, not because of shame, not because of condemnation. Will you transform this church to be more generous because we are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you'd be with us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open, open up with us to Luke chapter 12. And while we're going there, it looks like we have the pole that is up. Amen. And so let's, I'm going to step down here out of the video just for a second because I can't read behind the screen, but I want to read in front of the screen. And it looks like here in this live poll, it feels like vision was the top motivator for giving. So it feels like the majority of you in here will give if somebody can paint a compelling picture of what could be. Secondly, trust and credibility. So many of you in this room are willing to give if you can trust the person or the organization that you're giving to. And then finally, we have need. And lastly, fear. And thank you for all 8% that said fear because it means you're being honest. And I appreciate your honesty. Amen. Round of applause for the team making it happen back there. I know it's not easy. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verses 13 through 34. So get ready for a long read. We'll have it for you here on the screens as the team did all of that just for five seconds. Amen. That they're just glorifying the Lord. But Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34, you can read along on the screens and you can read along in your text, your scriptures. It reads like this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Somebody say, "Uh oh, <laughs> but he said to him, this is Jesus, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Amen. Verse 16. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentiful plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? Verse 21. So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They, ha they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? Do you believe that? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about 
the rest. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you believe that? (laughs) And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to the needy provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Isn't that powerful? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When it comes to our relationship with money, Jesus exhorts his followers to watch out, to fear not, and to live more generously. That's the outline. If you're taking notes and you want to know where we're going, when it comes to our relationship with money, Jesus in this text exhorts his followers to watch out, fear not, and live more generously. It all started with siblings feuding over the family estate. Can anybody relate? (laughs) I doubt anyone's going to raise their hand. It all started with siblings feuding over the family estate. So someone literally calls out to Jesus from within a large crown crowd and he says, teacher, tell my brother to share. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Evidently, someone had a real selfish brother. Or maybe that brother knew something about that other person And say, you know what, I don't want to give him their part of the inheritance because I know what they're going to do with it. Either way, somebody is crying out to Jesus to make sure that the inheritance is divided up equally. And I love Jesus' response because he's like, nah, not going to do it. And he says, I'm not going to do it because I don't have the legal jurisdiction. Like, I'm not the court-appointed arbitrator to settle this dispute. But what Jesus says, even though I am not the judge, even though I'm not court appointed to settle your dispute, I am God. And I am the God who sees the motivation of the human heart. And because I see the motivation of the human heart, I understand its tendencies towards selfishness, covetousness, and greed. So although I will not settle your case, I will talk about your heart. It's at that point that Jesus says, listen carefully. And he gives us our first takeaway this morning. He says this, take care. Watch out. Be on guard against all covetousness. Somebody just needs to take a photo of that. What a word for all of us as we begin a three-week mini-series designed to question our own money motives. Take care, watch out, be on guard against all covetousness. Now, when I think about being on guard, Pastor Roger, I think about being defensive. Any defensive people in here? I'm really defensive. Anybody that just claps back, you know, like you're just overly defensive. Like Jesus is giving you permission to be defensive. (laughs) But I just want to say this, it's, it's ironic that whenever the church starts talking about a money, we do get defensive, but not in the way that Jesus wants us to get defensive. Am I right? Because the minute you heard we were talking about money, everyone, maybe not everyone, but some of you came in this room with guards up, defenses up. 
And Jesus is actually telling you, don't defend your greed. Defend your ability to be generosity by calling out your greed. Because inevitably, whenever the church talks about money, there's going to be some people that got a problem. And I've heard them all. And we can be here all day. But I'm just going to give you a few. Pastor, just preach the gospel. Stick to the spiritual stuff, pastor. Don't tell me what to do with my money. And yet, here we have the Holy Spirit who inspired the Holy Scriptures giving us several incidents of Jesus Christ himself warning us against the dangers of money and greed. Proving that your relationship with money has more to do with your relationship to God than you think. Okay, okay. But just don't talk about tithing, Pastor Phil. Where are my theologians at? Right? Just don't talk about the tithe because Christ died. He fulfilled the law. We're in a new covenant. Right? And can I say something to you? Be careful when you say that. Because there's some truth in the fact that as a new covenant Christian, you are no longer compelled to give by the law. You are compelled by love. So let me ask you a question. What does love require? Because love gives it all away. Therefore, if you condemn the tithe and you say you're under love, then your giving should blow the tithe out the water. I'm all. I feel like, you know, Homer just kind of walking back in. And maybe you're here today, you're not a churchy person at all, and you think this is all a scam. Come ride my bike to my apartment. Let's hang out. You'll get that later. Maybe you think this is all a scam, like this is some kind of like get-rich-quick scheme for the pastors. Maybe you've seen televangelists, right, with their fancy cars and big households and, and their belts that are really, really expensive, and maybe you've rolled your eyes, right? Because grandmama keeps giving her money away to this pastor or this televangelist that is saying all these manipulating things. But I can assure you that for every con artist you see, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of men and women you don't see serving the ministry, living humbly for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. So yes, Jesus is calling us to be defensive. In fact, he's calling us to be suspicious. That's what watch out means. Be on guard. But he's calling us not to be defensive this morning and suspicious of the church. There's a time and place for that. But this morning, he's calling you to turn it inward and be defensive and suspicious about your hoarding of your money. Y'all okay? Even, with you, even if you weren't, I doubt anyone's going to be like, no, pastor. Jesus is not calling us to defend our greed, but to expose it. Repent so that we may be free to live generously. Amen? Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm not very greedy. I'm not a greedy person. But let me ask you a question. Do you worry about money? Do you, maybe you don't worry about money, but do you worry about what it can or can't do for you? You see, the whole reason why Jesus tells us to be on guard, the whole reason why Jesus tells us to watch out is because greed and covetousness like to hide. Nobody ever admits they're greedy. But that's why Jesus says you have to watch out. You have to be careful. You have to be on guard. Because greed and covetousness, covetousness like to hide. And, and specifically, they like to hide behind worry. So if you want to know if you're wrestling with greed or covetousness, just ask yourself, do I worry about money? Let's just think about the text for a minute. Jesus said, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. He says, don't be worried. 
He says, and, and he specifically says, don't worry about your life. And he defines life in this text as what? What you will eat and what you will wear. Are y'all with me? And I think that if Jesus was talking to a crowd in the bay, he might add, and where you will live. Can I get an amen? <laughs> dear little flock, right? Dear, dear little millennial. <laughs> Your mom and dad bought the house for this much, but you can't, <laughs> right? But don't, he wouldn't just say, don't be worried about what you're going to eat or, or what, what you're going to wear. He'd also say, don't, believe, don't be worried about where you're going to live. Because all of these worries are a sign of something going on in your heart. These worries, it's these worries that cause us to be spenders rather than givers. Let me prove that to you. Here, here, it's going to be a bit of a gut punch today if you haven't been told already. You can feel it already. Thanks, Mom. Here's the gut punch for all of us living in the United States, <laughs> right? We don't worry about if we're going to eat. We worry about where or what. That's why we have Yelp. <laughs> right? We're not wondering like if I'm going to have a meal today. We're wondering like where are we going after church? I'm there. I'm with you. I'm the big, this probably convicted me the most, to be honest with you. How about this? We don't worry about if we'll have clothes. We worry about the style, the brand, the right fit, the look. Y'all with me? There's a big difference between worrying about if I'm going to eat or what I'm going to eat amongst all of these. There's a big difference if I'm going to have clothes versus I have clothes. I just don't like them or they just don't fit as good. Are, they, are you with me? Even the lowest earners in this room. Don't raise your hand. We know who you are. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Total joke. Sorry. That was real bad. <laughs> You guys never laugh at my jokes, <laughs> ever. So there was something about that. I need to study what I just did because that's the biggest reply I've ever Okay. <laughs> okay. Even the lowest earners in the room compound their greed by turning excess and luxury into necessity. Don't we do that? I mean, the audacity we have to think that we are not greedy when the truth is, we don't think we're greedy because marketing and advertising agencies have successfully convinced us that we don't have enough. Listen, our spending keeps us from giving. And that's what these marketing and advertising firms and agencies, they do. And, and, and look, if you work for a marketing advertising firm, I'm sorry. But the idea is to convince you that you need more than you have. While I was prepping for this message, I came across a statistic that said two-thirds of Americans who make $100,000 a year or more could not agree with this statement. I can afford to buy everything I need. Let me say that again. Two-thirds of Americans who make $100,000 or more could not agree with the statement that says, I can afford everything that I need. And here's the challenge. We overspend on food. I do. I overspend on food. We overspend on clothing. We make room for travel, Starbucks, Amazon, Lululemon. Some of you are like, that's out of my price range. <laughs> and yet, the majority of, of Americans are convinced that we can't be generous. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We are the most wealthiest people 
who live in the most wealthiest region of the most wealthiest country in human history. And we've been convinced that we can't afford what we need. Our spending is keeping us from giving. But can I say this? Greed is not only revealed in our spending. It's also revealed in our savings. Do you know that? Did you know that spending is the one way that greed exposes itself? But also saving. Well, how so? Many prioritize storing up instead of giving away. In a recent study, again, by Generosity Bay Area, they found that one of the top reasons why Bay Area Christians don't give more is because they felt the need to use that money to invest or to save. And you know what's really interesting? Do you remember the parable Jesus told about the rich fool? In the parable with the rich fool, Jesus tells us that what made him foolish was that he found his sense of safety and security in what he had saved. He found his sense of safety and security in what he had stored up in his barns. He, he thought that he could find rest and happiness in bigger barns. Right? You, you remember that? He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to take the plenty that I have and I'm going to save it and store it so that I can eat, drink, and be what? Merry. That was his thought. I'm going to store, I'm going to save, and my storage and my savings is going to create such a comfort and security and safety in my life that I'm going to be able to relax and I'm going to be able to eat, sleep, and be merry. And as you read this parable... And it comes to its conclusion, God calls that man a fool because that night his soul was required of him. And, and I just have two thoughts that I want to say to you savers in this room. None of what he had saved, none of what he had spent his whole life accumulating was able to deliver him from the grave. Nor was it able to, able to save his soul from judgment. He, he couldn't go to God and say, hey, I, I have this much money. Does this buy my way in? You know what I often think about Inspire Church? Thank God we have money saved for a rainy day, right? There's some wisdom. But to exceed that, I feel like one day when we stand before God, especially as elders and those kind of overseeing the management of the funds, like, is he going to clap his hands if our savings accounts are large? Like when I stand before the Lord, is he going to say, good job, my faithful servants, you saved $200,000. And I think about this parable. Another thing that kind of came to mind was this man died and his death and his inability to take all of his wealth with him to heaven proves that it was never his. It's not really yours. Like you can't take it with you, which means it's only on loan while you have breath. You're just a steward. Huh. Everything, including our wealth, is just a loan. Nothing really belongs to us if you think about eternity. So it's how we steward it in this life that matters. What's that quote from Gladiator? What we do 
now, echoes in eternity, something to that effect. How you manage your money here will echo in eternity. And so this is why Jesus exhorts us, ready, to stop being anxious. Fear not, because it's your greed disguised as worry that is keeping you from living generously. You want to, what keeps you from being more generous? It's your worry. It's your fear. Y'all with me? I hope you guys come back next week. (laughs) Pastor Roger's preaching. I promise he's going to just give you a word. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) So listen, if we are going to live more generously, we're going to have to overcome that fear. Amen? Amen? I mean, I, I feel in this room that you, you want to overcome this fear. Like, how do you do that in this world, in this space, at this time, with these prices? Right? It's all, you know, as I, I was telling somebody today, you know, there, I, man, I, I want to be challenging. I want to be true to the word. But I also, I also want to be compassionate and sympathetic to everyone's current need in this space. So how are we going to live generously? How are we going to overcome this fear? Well, here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to give you four truths to believe and then two next steps to take. Okay? Notice the truths to believe come before the next steps. Four truths to believe and two next steps to take. In order to live more generously and overcome your fear and your worry about where I'm going to live and what am I going to wear and what am I going to eat and what, what, Lord, what am I going to do? Amen? So four truths to believe. And, I, and I, I'm really pulling this because when Jesus is telling people not to worry, the two biggest things are the two examples that he's giving. He says, consider. Consider the lilies. Think about, contemplate, consider the, consider the birds, right? And so we're taking this idea, it's to consider something, to think about it. And so here's, here's what I want you to ponder. And I'd love for you to jot this down in notes so I can, we can send you the notes. But like if you're serious about breaking off this poverty mentality or this materialism or this worry, like I really would, we're a church that really is about rhythms of life. Like if you want something to pray about, if you want something to meditate, like I'm giving you just, just a, all kinds of fire, firepower for your prayer closet this week. Like just take these four truths and, and meditate on it and, and think about it and, and, and just, just walk them through in your heart with the Holy Spirit. Four truths to belief. Number one, we find it in verse 23. Life is more than the here and now. Life is more than the here and now. Do you believe that? Listen, knowing that everything, and this is referring to going back to the parable of the rich fool. (laughs) What a name to be called, right? I'm going to put you in the Bible. Oh, yeah, what's my story going to be called? You'll be called the rich fool. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Knowing that everything he had was simply on loan. I wonder what it would look like if the rich fool was permitted to come back from the grave. Like, once he spent time on the other side of eternity and he stand before God. I wonder if he was allowed to come back from the grave if things would change. I think they would. In fact, I'm almost positive that he would have gladly given all his treasures away for the treasure that would be waiting for him in heaven. You want to know the difference between the ritual and us is that we're not there yet. And so we have to believe. We have to believe that there's more to life than this world. Listen, if you don't live with eternity in mind, 
you'll be a much less generous person. If you don't believe that there is a heaven waiting for you, you're going to try to make this life heaven. Which means you're going to spend. Or if you don't have the money, you're going to spend your life angry because you can't. Truth number two. You guys are doing great. Verses 24, and we see it again in verse 28. You are one of God's most prized possessions. Mm, what a truth to think about. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You know why I keep asking, do you believe that? Is because if you believe that, then it'll show. The reality is a majority of us that struggle with generosity, including myself, it's because we don't believe that. Y'all see that? Now, well, where did you get that in the text, Pastor Phil? Well, if, if he feeds the birds... And they don't have money. Right? How about the, if he adorns the lilies, adorns them with beauty, and they don't go to work? The argument here for, for Christ is this, how much more? How much more valuable are you? You are the crown jewel of God's creation. You are his special people. You are his treasure. Christ spilt his precious blood for your eternity. How much more does he not value and care and think about you? You guys with me? A lack of generous living is a lack that you're a confidence that God really cares for you, that God really values you, that God's going to really take care of you. Number three, verse 30, it says, your father knows what you need. <laughs> he knows what you need better than anyone else. He knows what you need. He knows what you need better than your mom knows what you need. Better than your dad knows what you need. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. And he knows what you need better than the marketing and advertising agencies try to convince you that you need. He knows better. If you want to live a more generous life, then you're going to have to trust that your heavenly father knows what you need. Because they are spending billions of dollars trying to convince you that they know better than your heavenly father. Every time you scroll. You with me? Every time you compare. Every time you're convinced Billions of dollars, billion. We're puppets, aren't we? We're so convinced. Billions of dollars put to try and convince you to buy, to come back, to like, over and over again. And finally, the fourth truth, this is my favorite. If you want to live a more generous life, then you have to believe <laughs> that it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. It is your heavenly father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <sighs> Do you believe that? God takes pleasure in giving you the kingdom. He loves to give the kingdom to his people. Wow. This is mind-blowing. Little, weak, sinful, insignificant people have inherited massive, immeasurable, unimaginable wealth from the king. And I love this. I, was, I believe it was John Piper that was saying in a particular portion of the scripture, he says, 
Now, now, little flock, <laughs> right? Come on, Jesus, like my little flock, you know, like, like it, that's a, it's endearment, but it's also like you're small, you're vulnerable, you're insignificant, but your father wants to give you something large, something great, something big. In fact, he doesn't want to give it to you. It's already yours. Now, now, little flock, your heavenly father takes pleasure in giving you the kingdom. And one thing that Piper points out that I think is so beautiful so beautiful. There are three words, flock, father, and kingdom, which implies that if you were a follower of Jesus, you have a good shepherd, a loving dad, and a wealthy king. Now, what a, what a, something just to digest and the truth. Do you believe that he is a good shepherd? Do you believe that he is a caring father? Do you believe that he is king of all things? Because if you did, you would be able to let go. Stop worrying about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. And start honoring God with your wallet, with your purse, with your pockets. Notice the text doesn't say, if you give it all, then I'll give you the kingdom. Some of the text is like, first of all, you got to do this and then God will give you this. No, the kingdom is yours. He's already your father. It's already been given to you. You're not earning it. It's been given to you. It's free. And it's been given to you by Christ. This is the gospel. Jesus has done it all. He's paid the price. He's secured the kingdom. The weight of all of heaven is behind you because of Christ. And if you believe that to be true, then how does that change the way that you give? How does it change the way that you live? What a good shepherd, what a loving father, what a wonderful savior. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, puts it perfectly. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know his grace, his gift. That though he was what? Rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might be rich. And so Jesus leaves the throne in heaven, leaves the glory of eternity. He puts on flesh. He becomes literally poor. The Son of Man has nowhere to go to lay his head. He's spat on, he's crucified, he's mocked stripped so that you can have the kingdom Whew. think about it if you really believe that the gospel was true if you really believe that it was true you'd stop fearing like if you really believe that this gospel is true you'd stop worrying the problem is we're still in our flesh man we're still in our flesh. That's a problem. And I can't wait for that day when this flesh is shed and I am perfected because I struggle. We're still here, y'all. It's still hard. There's, it's still, we don't see, we, we don't understand. We got to believe and yet we're still in our flesh. We have doubts and questions and fears. That's the tension. And so now that you know the truths to believe, Right Now that you have the force of the truth behind you, what are the next steps? And we're, we're finishing up and you've done great. Well, Jesus says, are you ready for this? Sell everything. <laughs> he said that, sell everything and give to the needy. You ready, guys? <laughs> Y'all ready to sell everything? <laughs> sell everything. Let, let me just say this, sell everything. Here's what I want to say. We should hold our possessions loosely. And we should be willing, if we don't have cash available, to let go of our stuff in order to be more generous. It's essentially the principle there. Like the question is, do, your, do you possess your possessions or do, does your possessions possess you? You know how you could tell us if you can let them go to be more generous. So hold your possessions loosely. 
so that if you see a need and cash is not readily available, you can let them go. Sell everything, and then he says, give to the needy. You know, it's really crazy. There's like this kingdom economics. And in the kingdom, well, in the world, you store your cash, you invest, put in the savings, retirement, 401k, all these different stock options that you have, all these things that we do. And I'm not saying don't do any of these, but I'm saying this is what we do in this world in order to help us feel more secure about our future. But in the kingdom of God, you're actually called to give all that away so you can store up treasures in heaven. And so the the economics of the kingdom is that the more you give away down here, the more you store up up there. Now, don't, don't get it twisted. Your salvation has been purchased by Christ. That's settled. But in heaven, there's rewards. In heaven, there's honor and esteem in many different ways. And, and, and you have to give away here to store up there. Sometimes I think, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness and everything else will be added to you. I feel like here in the Bay Area, it's like seek first my own kingdom. And then God's going to just kind of add. And um, we're going to finish here with this thought that I've been thinking about. You know, there are different kinds of generosities, right? Right? There's the kind of generosity that stirs you up on Sunday, right? You come in, the little offering plate is passed, or maybe, you, maybe there's a kind of generosity you're out and about and you see somebody hurting, Right? And, and it just stirs you up maybe to give whatever change you have or whatever cash you have on, which is beautiful, beautiful. Praise God. Maybe you buy somebody something to eat, right? So whether you're building the kingdom or whether you're out there helping the needy, there's this kind of instantaneous kind of thing that bubbles up in you and you just kind of give what you have, right? And then there's another kind of generosity, right? There's a next step of generous living in which you like plan your generosity, Right, and you think about it and you say, you know what, like I want to give a percentage of my income away. Like I want to like plan to be generous. Like I'm going to actually look at a couple of spaces, my local church, I'm going to build the kingdom there. And maybe outside there are some things that are close to my heart. And I'm going to plan this out and I'm going to budget it in and I'm going to, right? And so there's this, there's this next step of generosity that's not spontaneous, but it's planned. And then there's this, other level of generosity that just kind of came to my heart as I was thinking through this text. And there's another kind of generosity that says like, (laughs) you know, when he says sell everything in your possessions, there's another kind of generosity that like dips into your investments. Dips into your equity your rental properties. Right, there's another kind of generosity that wants to lower your net worth. It's heavy. So that God can be glorified. So that people can be reached. So that the kingdom can expand so that the naked can be clothed, the hungry can be fed, so that you can store your treasures up in heaven. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Amen? And if you're anything like me, you're struggling with this message. So I've been struggling with it all week. And you're nowhere near where you need to be. And there's a temptation of the evil one in this room to feel very uh, condemned. I want you to know that Christ has bled and died for you. That he has lived the perfect life. That he is perfectly obedient. So even when you're scared, unafraid, or even when you allow your fear to cause you to be disobedient, Christ was obedient for you. Trust that. Believe that. Rest in his righteousness. But from that place, ask yourself, okay, God, what is love asking me to do?
What is love at? What is trust asking me to do? Where am I at and where can I go next? Right, everyone's next step in this room is gonna be so different. Maybe you go from nothing to something. And maybe you go from something to a lot. Maybe you go from, you, I don't know, but th this is just what, what, what is love doing in this room? In the next three weeks, we just want you to think about the motivations of your heart, the money motivations of your heart, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ wants to radically transform the way you live generously. Amen? I invite you to stand if you can. I want to read to you Mark 10, 29 through 31. And in a moment, this is perfect. In a moment, we are going to respond to the work of Christ by taking the elements of communion together. But before we do that, I, I just want you to sit and just kind of listen to this, to this word from Jesus. And it's found, and if you want to go there, it's found in Mark 10. If not, not a problem. We don't have it here on the screen, so team, you're doing great. Mark 10, and I want to read verses 29 through 31. This is Jesus saying, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is a promise that if you seek the kingdom of God first in all of his righteousness, it'll come back to you. You just trust him, he'll take care of you. And part of that taking care of is that not only in the age to come, but he says now. What does that mean? That means that there are many people that are going to come to Christ and they're going to lose family members because they came to Jesus. Wow. They're going to lose moms. They're going to lose dads, sisters and brothers because they gave their life to Jesus. But you know what? Because they're going to come into a church, they're going to get mamas. They're going to get dads. They're going to get brothers. They're going to get uncles. They're going to get sisters. I know it's kind of weird. We always say, hey, brother, so-and-so and sister, but this is where it comes from. There are people who come in the kingdom that give away their land, give away their house, sell their possessions, but they enter into a community. And you know why they give it away? So that others can have. And they're going to enter into a community that has land and a community that has possessions. And we're going to try to be a church that takes care of those in need, takes care of those that have lost. This is the community. And this is the call. And this is our desire. We're not there as a church. We're not there. And I don't mean you. I just mean from the top down, like just strategically not there yet. There's a few things we're not there. I feel like every time I preach, I'm like, man. What am I doing, Lord? But I know God is shifting and doing. And I want to be a part of that. And I don't want to die and stand before the Lord with a bunch of money saved. And a bunch of stuff accumulated. And people on their way to hell in the Bay Area. Is that harsh? Thank you, Jesus. Would you just take... We're going to dismiss here in a moment, but would you just take a second right where you're at just to give him praise? It doesn't have to be loud. Just in your own way, in your own space, will you give him praise? Would you thank him? Would you thank him for being so good to you, so kind to you? Would you thank him for being so generous to you? Would you thank the Father for being pleased to give you the kingdom? Thank you, Jesus. 
And Heavenly Father, we are careful to give you all honor and all glory and all praise. And may we live as a confident people. We don't put our confidence in the economy. We don't put our confidence in a president. We don't put our confidence in prices going up. We don't put our confidence or our fear in inflation. We live by the kingdom of God. We know that our Father loves us. And so may we walk in that confidence. And may we speak those truths to all of the worries and the concerns and the fears that we have as people, not just in this world, but in the Bay Area, Lord. Help us to be suspicious, to watch out for our greed. Help us to fear not because we are loved. And help us to live life more generously for your honor and your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, Inspire Church. You did it. You made it through today. Now walk out in the confidence of Jesus Christ. We love y'all. We'll see you next week. God bless. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.